I'm Kate Daniels. Sandy Tolan, who is currently a professor at the University of California School for Communication and Journalism, and has a resume of reporting for NPR from around the world and for writing for numerous magazines, wrote The Lemon Tree in 2006, and now has a new edition written for youth, The Lemon Tree, an Arab, a Jew, and the Heart of the Middle East, is an important read and source of conversation for all of us now and for our future. Sandy Tolan, good morning. It is wonderful to have you join us today. Good morning, Kate. It's it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. You are welcome, and I am really feeling grateful, which is interesting. You know, here we are just days before Thanksgiving, so we want to be having that kind of attitude around us, I I feel. I'm grateful because you have um, written or revised an earlier book from the early 2000s, The Lemon Tree, uh, An Arab, a Jew, and the Heart of the Middle East. This is now a, a young reader's edition, which is really wonderful. What was the motivation for you, Sandy, to take your adult version, we'll call it, uh, book and now create this newer one? Well, you know, I've been speaking of gratitude uh, and thankfulness. I've been grateful that this book the original that came out in 2006, The Lemon Tree, um, has had uh, a life that I couldn't have imagined uh, or even didn't even dare to dream of. I mean, it's sold many, many, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies around the world. It's in several languages uh, because there's a universal story. And so when I was talking to my publisher, we thought, why shouldn't we try to extend the story and expand the the readership to younger readers because there really is a universal story here it's a story of two individuals one palestinian named bashir and one israeli named dahlia and their stories really are in a sense a universal story of attachment to land of struggle for identity of uh, of dispossession and displacement and of friendship across a really difficult chasm. The story, if you'll allow me to tell it uh, briefly, is yes. is a story that really begins in 1948, which is when uh, Israel was created, uh, and it was it's an it's a moment in history that that historians call the first Arab-Israeli war. Israelis call the War of Independence. And Palestinians call the Nakba or the catastrophe, and it's the same event. Uh, and that's partly what made me so curious about how could one event be seen so differently across such a chasm of, of understanding and experience. Uh, the story is that in 1948, uh, during the creation of Israel, 750,000 Palestinians uh, either were driven out or fled in fear. Uh, during the the War of Independence, or the Nakba, the catastrophe, and went into exile. And one of those people was Bashir al-Khairi, who went with his family into exile. He was only six at the time. And all these years later, um, you know, many, many years, he spent wondering, who is living in our house? Why did we have to leave? All I want to do is go home. And then there's the story of Dahlia, who was 11 months old in Bulgaria. Bulgarian Jews, unlike 
Jews in almost all the rest of Europe had survived the Holocaust uh, due to extraordinary series of events. Um, and they uh, got on a ship, nevertheless, after this close call, and like most other Bulgarians, went to Israel, went to the new state of Israel. They, they arrived in November of 1948. A few, uh, there was still some hostilities, but uh, it was a few months after Bashir's family had been driven out. And they moved to this house that had a lemon tree in the backyard. Uh, and it was the house that Bashir's family had left, had fled from, had been driven out of in 1948. Uh, Bashir's father had planted that lemon tree and Dahlia's father and mother would, would reap the harvest of that lemon tree. So for 19 years, the Palestinians, and Bashir was saying, who's in our home? And Dahlia, as she grew up, was wondering, why would someone just leave? Why are my school teachers and school books telling me that the Arabs were all coward and they all ran away and they didn't have any attachment to the land? And then one day in 1967, after the what we call the Six-Day War, Palestinians were able to go to their old homes and just, in Bashir's case, with his cousins all dressed up on a sweltering day in their coats and ties, ring the bell of that gate that his father had built, that stone gate, just to ask permission to go inside that house. And imagine being Bashir, you know, would you would you stir up the courage to, and, and, and maybe even feeling a little humiliated to ask for permission to see your own house that you haven't been to since you were six years old. And the bell rings, and imagine being Dahlia, who goes down the path and opens that gate and stands there looking at three Arab-Palestinian men in their suits and ties. Literally, this was your enemy. This was the, 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 these were the people that you considered your enemy just a few weeks before. And now Bashir is saying, could we just come in and see the house? And what would you do? You know? And what did Dahlia do? She hesitated. She told me later, you know what? I knew why they were here. I knew who they were, and I knew what they wanted. And she said, you know, if I send them away now, I'll never see them again, perhaps. So she stepped aside. She said, I, I actually felt like they were the vulnerable ones. She's a remarkably empathetic uh, individual. She stepped aside and said, please come in. And this is a, a kind of story for kids, for adults, that people do things that are extraordinary, and extraordinary things happen after that. And that was the beginning of a, a genuine, deep, and very, very difficult friendship across a chasm of identity, of religion, of of uh, attachment to land and of uh, power, of one side being more powerful than the other and, and the other trying to get justice. And this is really a remarkable connection between two people. It is. And something that resonates, I think all of us would agree for us today, right here in our own country, in our own communities, and around yeah. the world, too, of course. But but we can, I think. And was this perhaps your feeling as you were adapting it for younger readers? What, was there that sense, Sandy, for you of, of um, you know, bringing that kind of story for us to think of it, for our youth to consider that? Yes, because, you know, I think kids are... <laughs> You know, they're, they're uh, 
in a sense, I think they're more forgiving than adults come to be at times. They're more empathetic sometimes than we are. They're more curious sometimes than we are. And I think that that a child's mind and a child's heart and sensibility is uh, is sort of the perfect it's a perfect makeup for a story like this because this sense of what happens uh, to another person around the world, um, that that sense of who is that person, what are they going through? I think kids can recognize both, you know, that this is something that, that happened to someone else around the world that they can empathize with, but they can also relate uh, to the universal themes of, of home more than anything, of what would it be like to lose your home, of what would it be like to uh, have someone uh, trying to uh, deny your right to a home. And these are all themes, you know, along with perhaps the biggest one that has the greatest resonance for American kids, which is how do you bridge this gap with your so-called adversary? I mean, we are such a divided country right now. And I think reading a story uh, that connects uh, young readers to people who actually reached out to each other across a chasm that's even far greater than ours in our country. You know, we no matter what our backgrounds, no matter what our political views, there there is such a huge gap in in understanding and empathy for each other here in our country. But imagine comparing that to these two people who literally were enemies. I mean, they weren't metaphorical enemies or adversaries. They were enemies. And one person stands and sees another three people, and they are literally enemies, and they're standing facing each other, and somebody opens the door. I think that could be understood as what's possible. And if it's possible there, why isn't it possible here? Of course. Absolutely. So, and and the thing with our youth, with any youth, is that there still hasn't been that piles of years of conditioning. So there still yeah. is that possibility that can be nurtured and explored. Absolutely. And I think with kids, again, there's a sense that anything's possible. You know, sometimes we grown-ups send the wrong messages. Oh, you know, well, no, that's just not going to happen. That's never going to happen. Why? Why can't it happen? I think kids are are more open to making things possible. And I think when, you know, a lot of times people ask me, and I've, I've obviously done a lot of talks and interviews and written many essays and op-eds and so on over the years, over the almost 15 years since the lemon tree first came out. And a lot of people ask me, you know, what, what's the solution? You know, what, how can these two peoples, um, you know, reconcile? And, and one of the models that I think, uh, if we ever get to this point, uh, and we're not very close to it right now between Israel and the Palestinians, um, but the South African model of, of truth and reconciliation is something that uh, I think kids can understand, not necessarily you know, in those words. They might not go around spouting, we need a truth and reconciliation commission, but they might understand, and we talk about this a little bit towards the end of the book, 
that this idea of coming together and telling each other's stories of what happened, how people felt wronged, how people felt misunderstood, how they uh, began to understand each other's experience. I think this is something that, that kids could lead on. I mean, kids um, sometimes are the ones that tell us which way we should go. And I think if people read this book and they see what's possible, I'm not saying that suddenly they'll create a movement, but I, I think by you know helping them plant a seed of empathy, of curiosity, of want, wanting to understand someone else's experience, and then even maybe without thinking, translating that into their own daily lives of being curious about the stranger across the room, um, maybe who looks different than you, maybe whose religion is different than you, maybe they wear their hair different, maybe they dress differently, maybe they have different rituals or customs or religious practices than you, maybe their politics are completely different than you, but there they are in the room with you. And I'm hopeful that this book, more than anything else, creates a sense of empathy and compassion that kids are so naturally prone to have in the first place um, that maybe it, it could expand into other aspects of their life. What is it? There's the saying, from your lips to God's ears, uh, you know, that hope that, yes, this would be possible. And I think w we see it happening a bit in some communities where they have this concept of listening circles so that you have groups of people from from different uh from a d diverse backgrounds having a chance to discuss who they are what is going on and we i think as as you say if we hear each other's side of the story rather than as being adversaries if we can come together with understanding and that empathy the compassion and the kids, yes, I think they have a, a lot less baggage, I guess, to uh, work through to be able to start at that young age. So this is, with the Lemon Tree, the, the Young Reader's Edition, this is a wonderful place to start. And, and uh, especially with remote learning these days, too, a great right. way to have kids come together. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I feel... Like, you know, it's interesting you mentioned remote learning. It's it's so difficult. I, I teach journalism at the University of Southern California, and, um, I, you know, we've been online for eight months now. And, you know, it, it, it does present different challenges, but I think um, what connects us as humans um, that makes us different than other animals um, as much as anything is story yes. and and uh, you know that this is what i try to instill in my my students grad and undergrad students um, who are learning journalism is how do you tell a story that engages people how do you tell a story that makes people care that that's a story that matters, that's a story that makes people maybe even want to do something after they read it or after they see uh, the documentary you made or listen to the podcast you did. And, and I, I think that the same is true with The Lemon Tree, and it 
certainly lends itself towards you know reading aloud. It, it, it lends itself toward um, you know book groups and and as you say, listening circles. But it's also appropriate for for this age that we're in. I mean, hopefully we'll be out of it before too long. But it's it's. Uh, not looking like we're about to get out of of this remote learning phase that we're in. You know, I have an 11 year old, and and um, you know, I'll be reading this book to him soon. But uh, but I think kids can can engage in this. I think one way to keep people's attention and keep children's attention and engage them is by telling a really good story. And that's what I wanted to do with the Lemon Tree, both the adult edition and especially this children's edition, which, where some of the, the denser history is removed. It's engaging them in story, engaging them in this idea of what happens next and wanting to know what happens next. So it's, it's of course, it's empathy. It's creating compassion. It's in, not creating. It's engaging with the natural compassion and empathy that kids have. But it's also doing it through a story, through these two people's lives where you want to know what happened to them. What's going to happen to them? Are they going to be okay? And that's why um, I think it's, you know, kids are sort of a natural audience for this because of their innate ability to care and to, to want to know and to be compassionate and empathetic. Exactly. And... In terms of how kids want to yearn for this story, I think that still exists in us as adults, these big kids, that inside of us, there's just something that does wake up when when we hear a good story and we also want to, to learn more. So th- that's why sharing stories is so critical. Yeah, I agree completely. So here we have this incredible book, The Lemon Tree, it kind of going back a bit into the past of it that you you touch in because you give us a, a really good history for which, again, I'm going to use the word grateful, Sandy, because I have to admit that, you know, looking at the whole situation in Israel with the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians, it can get so convoluted that my brain kind of goes into short circuit. But you give us such a a really great way to have a good understanding. And it's very interesting to see how, you know, like in the 30s, in the 1930s and prior to the war, World War, uh, how the people lived together peaceably. Yes. I mean, we we forget that this is not really um, an ancient conflict. I mean, it's seen, I think, uh, a lot in the popular culture and people who, you know, for for whatever reason, and because they're involved with their own lives, they don't know a whole lot of the history between Israel and Palestine. Um, and they uh, they might assume that this is some ancient conflict. These people have been fighting for thousands of years, and it's really, it's hopeless. It's not. I mean, this is essentially a conflict that started in the 1890s with the creation of the of the Zionist movement, and um, and there were you know Jews always living in in Palestine uh, for thousands of years, but it was the Zionist movement that was created for uh, those who really wanted 
their own homeland and the reaction to that by Palestinians over the decades that that began this and and so when when the emigration of Jews to the Holy Land began in you know the early 1900s and in the 30s tensions really increased but there was a time for sure that there was so much more connection in the 30s you know Bashir's family um, when they were living uh, in Ramle before they were uh, expelled, they you know they would take their suits to Jewish tailors. They would they would have their hats blocked and cleaned by Jewish um, hat makers and hat cleaners and um, photographers and dressmakers. And there were there was always this connection. And 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 Jews in the Holy Land, many of them spoke Arabic uh, because they were. Uh, not exactly a single population. They were separate, and there were, for sure, tensions, especially going into the 1930s. But there was a level of coexistence that existed that could be that part of it could be a model for the future. It could be a model for, you know, how to reconcile. Uh, we're so far from that now that you know it's it's hard to even imagine, Kate, how how far we are. But but it's. But the ingredients are there, and the ingredients not only include, you know, compassion and empathy, but things like, you know, reconciliation through listening um, and through understanding and through an appreciation that everyone has an equal right to live on their land. And that's something that's been lost, um, you know, as more and more Palestinians have been forced into ever smaller enclaves. You have hundreds of thousands of settlers now and, and these very, very small islands of, of land that are uh, essentially under military occupation in, in the West Bank and, and, you know, occupation by air and sea um, in Gaza, uh, so that people don't have freedom. And I think that's the other universal thing that that comes across in this book that children can absorb is the right to be free, the, the, the desire to not have your life controlled and, um, and apportioned um, according to where you're allowed to go. And that sense of freedom is something that all the people in the Holy Land should be able to enjoy and now cannot. But it's not that complicated how this could work out. It's just that we're so far from that now with the current politics of the region and the current politics of uh, the United States. Which is why it's so critical for us to just keep exploring, expanding our uh, mental and emotional and compassionate boundaries and doing this kind of reading and gaining more awareness and insight. And so, you know, I was mentioning how this is great in schools and such, but, you know, and you mentioned your son, you'd be reading to this to him. That's maybe even a, a, a better perspective is to have parents pick up this book and read it, have nightly or, you know, twice a week readings from the book, kids might push to say, no, no, we need to know what's happening and they want to do it nightly. Yeah, hopefully, but, right. Yeah. W wouldn't that be a, a wonderful way to learn and, and discuss of what's going on there, but related to what's going on here in our own country? 
Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, we have become so divided. It's so tragic. Uh, and there are scarce opportunities. And this is a way of, as you say, Kate, connecting the story from way over on the other side of the world to us here. Um, the, the universal theme, uh, not only of home and and of, of wanting to feel safe and having the ability to, to move freely, but also being able to talk to each other. Um, there, you know, we, we live in these different realities today, and, and, and we have scant opportunity uh, to talk to each other. And I think, you know, parents reading this story is one way to connect to a story where someone has reached out, two people have reached out across this incredible chasm between them, between their peoples, between their histories, and uh, between the the power structures uh, of the of the you know, imperial powers and of 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 the of the powers between their two peoples to to, to connect with their common humanity, and I think it's. It's, met, it's metaphorical to today because y- you see increasingly rare opportunities for us to have a common touchstone, a common thing that we agree on, common facts even that we agree on. And, you know, I, I remember a, a few years ago doing a story in Oklahoma uh, for the, the program Frontline. They have a podcast, and uh, I was doing the story uh, about how fracking uh, and, and certain drilling caused earthquakes in Oklahoma, and and it was literally rattling people on all sides of the political spectrum. And I spent time with an, an oil man and his family in in Oklahoma. You know, very conservative, very much not wanting to say that there was anything real about uh, climate change and global warming and so on. But there we were at the kitchen table curious about each other asking each other why do you believe this instead of you know instead of denouncing each other and being patronizing or hostile um it was a genuine curiosity between you know this couple that i got to know and and me and and you know i haven't been in touch with this guy for a little while and it makes me want to reach out to him today by email this guy named patrick and and i think this book can sort of help us, help guide us toward a way of understanding and wanting to connect across the divide. That's a perfect story. And how this, the lemon tree, can ripple out to all these different encounters in our life. And the story of Bashir and Dahlia, you started off our conversation with that and we'll say to find out what's gone on get your copy of the lemon tree read it together as family uh, make it extended family perhaps to be able to share this story so of course the book available uh, online uh, through all of our favorite book sources as well correct sandy Absolutely, yeah. Your local bookstore, or it's available online. It's it's widely available now. And uh, to learn more about you and uh, follow what you're doing, your website is sandytolan.com. It's S A N D Y T O L A N 
Facebook.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Sandy underscore Tolan, as well as Instagram, though um, I'm more active on Twitter. And, uh, or you can find me on Facebook. That's perfect. And this has been so wonderful. Again, my gratitude to you for writing the book and, of course, for spending time with us this morning, illuminating, you know, some of the parts of it that we need to look at and and making it very personal. So, Sandy Tolan, thank you for the gift of you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kate. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. And you as well.